Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the mental benefits of learning evil poses with your friends. Balma, Krillin, and Gohan have blasted off to another planet in hopes of finding a remedy for the damage done by Vegeta and Nappa. After arriving on what we learn is Kami's home world, Planet Namek, our heroes run into quite a bit of trouble while in pursuit of a new set of Dragon Balls. Strap on your lucky spacesuit and get ready as we dive into part two of the Planet Namek arc. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And tonight we'll be covering DBZ Kai's episodes 25 through 30, as we pick up with our heroes attempting to evade the dangers of Frieza, his men, and the evil Saiyan Prince Vegeta, who now lies defeated after his battle with Zarbon. Goku is en route, but he's still days away, as everything seems to already be going Frieza's way. And with all of that covered, was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? I've just got our quick bullet point list since we're doing part two of the Namek arc for last time on Instant Transmission. Goku's in the hospital. Popo has a spaceship. Gohan and Krillin go to Namek. And Bulma's there too. Frieza exists. Frieza wants immortality. Frieza's men slaughter Namekians. Frieza collects Dragon Balls. Vegeta wants Frieza's balls. Goku and Krillin try not to die. Vegeta gets a Saiyan spanking by Zarbon. And Goku's on a spaceship. And that takes us to today. <laughs> well, thank you, Speed Racer, for those updates. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I think today that brings us to episode 25, which is, it's a power-up, Krillin, Frieza's nagging premonition. And this episode begins with Krillin and Dende finally arriving at the Grand Elder's home, the wise leader of the Namekian people. And when this door opens, at first we're greeted by a strong, strapping young Namekian, who we learn is Nail, who leads them inside where we find Guru, who's the actual Grand Elder. Yeah, and Guru is not at all what Krillin expects. I think he even says that Nail himself is kind of the spitting image of Piccolo. However, Guru is about 10 nails put together. He's very large and sitting in this large Namekian throne, but he's also very, he's like a gentle giant. He's very, uh, very kind and very easy to deal with uh, and also very compassionate to Krillin's request to take the Dragon Ball. Yeah, and Krillin is kind of playing with uh, guru to let him use the dragon ball that he has that evil people are on the way and he's kind of he's really painting this dark picture and guru seems like he's already aware of everything that's happening he's kind of tapped in and he's like you said he's showing compassion especially after learning that the earth that these earthlings have come from they had dragon balls of their own and they're Guru's actually moved by the knowledge that Kame, one of the Namekian people, had ended up on that planet and influenced the Earthlings. So there's almost this kind of common thread of fate that ties them together, which is pretty neat. Yeah, the interesting part here, too, is that we we get Guru using a power of his own as he asks Krillin, can I kind of take a peek into your world and Guru places a hand on Krillin's head. And that's how Guru learns about Kami. Uh, Kami having been what Guru says is was a, a prodigy as far as creating Dragon Balls. 
uh, and Kami had left his home world um, creating the Dragon Balls on Earth as we know it. But Guru then says, I think I might have a way to help you, Earthling, and says that he's going to unlock Krillin's potential, the power inside of him. And with just the touch of his hand, an aura kind of comes over Krillin and he quickly is shocked and astonished at how powerful he's become. Uh, and we kind of get our our powered up Krillin in the moment here, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty neat. Um, I hope it really does something cool at some point, but you know, it's neat mm -hmm. that he got a power up and I'm very proud of him. He's very happy. He's kind of dancing on his toes. He feels so good. He could maybe be half of a Vegeta now. <laughs> but at bare minimum, his parting gift is the Dragon Ball that was under Guru's watch. And he zooms off with the Dragon Ball and he kind of mentions that he has hopes of bringing Gohan back for the same power-up since he knows Gohan's full of latent energy. Yeah. And, I mean, we already kind of know... Saiyans in Dragon Ball are broken, man. They got real, they got cheat codes. Uh, so that's kind of what Krillin is banking on here, hoping <laughs> that it'll really unlock that hidden potential in Gohan. Uh, but Go or Krillin rather gets the Dragon Ball. He zooms off, going back to his friends, and we're kind of treated back to the the bad guy's point of view. We do get to see a a minion of Frieza come upon the the village, the Namekian village that Vegeta already destroyed and ransacked. And there's one remaining Namekian trying to get to the Dragon Ball that Vegeta hid in the water. And this minion murders this guy, uh, which is going to come back to haunt him in the upcoming scene. Yeah. Uh, Frieza, while appreciating getting the update, Frieza's upset because this person could have been used for interrogation, information. Um, so this was actually kind of not the right move for once killing somebody. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue here is that all of Frieza and Frieza's men, they're all out of scouters. They've all been destroyed up to this point, uh, tactfully so by both, well, mostly by the Namekians. And so they don't have a way of tracking down people. They don't have a way of tracking down Namekians, tracking down Vegeta. But the real issue is they don't have a way of tracking down the last couple of Dragon Balls as a result. And so Frieza murders this minion and tells Zarbon, because Zarbon reports back saying that he's dispatched Vegeta um, stating that he has more or less killed him. He's not going to be a problem anymore. Frieza doesn't like this either because now Frieza believes that Vegeta has hidden a Dragon Ball. And so he tells Zarbon, you go find Vegeta's dead ass body and bring him back here and find me that Dragon Ball. Yeah, and this is um, there's a clock set for Zarbon. He only has so much time. Otherwise, Frieza's going to also well, treat him like a henchman. And this is where we see Frieza's rage kind of bubbling over. We've seen Frieza kind of being a, a cool cucumber up till this point, but the frustration is really starting to get to him. And this is where Frieza calls in the big guns, the 
the special forces. This is where he gets the Ginyu force on the line. And apparently they will be arriving in five days. And once Frieza said that, I realized I have no idea how much time has passed, but five days until the Ginyu Force arrives. Time and this is so wibbly wobbly and weird. And Namek has, I can't remember if it's two or three sons, but it always looks the same. There's no, to us, there's no day night pattern. Which is uh, great. So it's always daytime out. So the time never changes. And every single bit of the environment is identical, so every place looks the same. <laughs> Makes it real easy for the writing and the artists, because they can just be like, yeah, like 12 days went by, and we're like, what? When? How? <laughs> yeah. So that kind of caught me off. I just made a little note, because time means nothing to me at this point. Um, but that transitions us to the end of this episode, where our heroes on Planet Namek Notice that one of the Dragon Balls is away from all the other Dragon Balls, and it appears to be unguarded. And this is where Gohan takes the Dragon Radar from Bulma, and he kind of races off to see if he can collect it without anyone noticing. Yeah, I mean, this is this is clever while also being a bit of a dangerous move. I mean, Gohan's strong. Gohan's already shown that he can beat up the some of the henchmen in Frieza's army. He's also like five or six years old, too. So uh, there's that to remember. Um, it, it is. It's a risky play, but it's one that Gohan and Bulma kind of hatched together because it's I mean, there's a small window of opportunity here and Krillin's not here to really help out with the discussion. He's on his way back right now. And I mean, you got to risk it for the biscuit, right? Yeah, uh, we'll we'll kind of see if that pays off for Gohan. But we do find Zarbon uh, makes his way out to find Vegeta again. Uh, fortunately for Zarbon, in this case, he does find Vegeta, who has crawled his way out of the body of water he was left to die in. And Zarbon drags Vegeta back to Frieza's ship, placing him in a healing pod in the hopes that he'll be able to get him in talking shape to reveal the location of the dragon ball. Yeah, that's true. And there's, there's a doctor put on watch who's supposed to alert Zarbon as soon as our special guest wakes up. Yeah. And this is our class, a minion, a pool who <laughs> unfortunately finds himself in the path of a fully healed. Well, actually, that might be next episode. I'm jumping ahead. Very shortly. Let's go ahead and get into it because that's episode <laughs> 26, which, oh boy, I've got notes about this episode. The plot is smashed. The counterattack, Vegeta versus Zarbon. And as you were saying, this episode begins with Vegeta waking up and blasting his way <laughs> out of his healing pod, which, what did that healing pod ever do to him? <laughs> I mean... The the great thing here is that, well, it's going to come back to bite him in the ass a little bit later. But yeah, he fucking murders a pool as he breaks out. Uh, and then this turns into a whole scene of Frieza and Zarbon trying to trying to find where Vegeta is. Vegeta hiding from them, destroying parts of the ship, killing more minions and Vegeta using all of this 
chaos to make his way to the Dragon Balls and chuck them out the window. <laughs> yeah, and this is, I mean, it, I think it's a clever idea, right? It's kind of being resourceful with what you got. And he needs to get all those Dragon Balls. He'll find them later. He needs to just make sure that Frieza doesn't have them. I love it. It's such a, I mean, it's speaking to Vegeta's character. It's a tactical move. It's smart, right? And this is really taking advantage of the fact that none of our bad guys outside of Vegeta can sense energy. They don't have scouters, so they're they're flying around blind trying to find where Vegeta is. And now Frieza's pissed because they need to track down not only Vegeta, but those five Dragon Balls. And I... I am going to point out that there are some shots in this little chase scene, this Vegeta hiding on the ship that were touched up with the new animations. And oh my God, they look terrible. These are some of the worst frames I think in Kai I've seen so far. They're really bad. A couple of them include Frieza and admittedly, some of them are not. I I remember some of them from the original animation and some of them are not the best animation from even the original standpoint with Frieza and everything. But when they've been touched up, they look just that much worse. They look terrible. Yeah. And I mean, part of the thing with the touch ups is that I feel like they don't blend the the animations into the backgrounds very well. So they really stand out. You have these really hard lines with really vibrant colors against kind of a, almost like a watercolor palette background. And so it, I mean, it almost looks like a flash animation when you take a still. It does. I, that's what I've been calling it too. Like I, I don't like it. I, I wish that they would leave it alone. They might have their reasons. Like the original media for dragon ball is who it's 30 years old or more at this point. So it, it might be damaged and that might be why they're touching it up. But if I mean, redo the whole thing, redo the whole thing, just remaster the whole thing and give it to me. I man, I want that so bad. (laughs) I mean, we know that they can do great work that there are some scenes from from Super that I think are just mind blowingly like animated. The the art is amazing. The the smoothness, the choreography, they're capable of putting a good product out there. And who wouldn't buy just a completely redone shorthand Dragon Ball Z series. Man, if you gave me the entirety of Dragon Ball Z, make it like, I don't know, 64 episodes, and it was just like they took their time mm-hmm. on it, on the animation. Oh, I'd lose my fucking mind. I mean, so it's good. free. Look at how many times people have bought Skyrim. They Everyone would buy this. <laughs> That's true. I mean, even, <laughs> well, we're already watching Kai, which is a re re release of dragon ball. So yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch it again too. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, I just, I had to bring it up because this, we've had a few scenes throughout Kai that really stood out to me, but there are several in this one that just, just did not look good. And so episode 26 so far is taking the cake for me is the worst animated or touched up animated episode of Kai so far. It's definitely up there. Uh, I I tried to ignore it, um, but that it it's rough. It does kind of take us moving forward as Vegeta escapes from Frieza and Zarbon, going into full submarine stealth mode as he goes in the water to escape from them. Uh, 
at this point, we kind of cut back over to Gohan, who does end up finding the Dragon Ball that Vegeta had hid originally in the water. Uh, and then we kind of move back. We move back and forth there's, from perspectives here. There's actually, when Gohan first arrives, they take the time to actually have Gohan kind of kind of take in the scene and and mourn for the dead Namekians and comprehend the damage that he was looking at because this Gohan's very young and something like this would be a very traumatic experience for somebody of his age to to have to go through. I mean, he's alone and he's just arrived at this scene of just murder and destruction and I mean, it's I I can only imagine what that would do to somebody, especially somebody his age. And I am glad they they slowed the beat down for a second for him to deal with this issue. And I don't, I, th- I thought it was very well done. It was a nice pause. And I think it's a good character moment that they left in Kai. I agree with you. I kind of zipped past that. I also kind of, as you bring that up, I, I kind of wanted to bring up to the, the pacing because in, especially in the Saiyan arc, we were talking about the breakneck speed of the episodes and just how full they are of information and events. And it almost feels like too much. I I feel like there were some episodes where it was hard to even get my bearings or I didn't have a second to breathe in the early, like the first 20 or so episodes since they've been on Namek, especially in this part, it almost feels to me, it feels like just the right pace, which is funny because the original it, the like full almost 300 episode Dragon Ball Z release did not feel like the right pace for Namek. It was way too long, way too drawn out. And they've cut out a lot of that bullshit in Kai. Yeah. And the the Saiyan arc, it needed to be trimmed down a little bit, I think, but not a lot. And I feel like they condensed it a little bit too much. There was a ton of filler. No one misses fake Namek, right? And I think, as far as I can tell, all the stuff they've cut out, I don't think I'm missing anything. Not that I can recall. But I would have to rewatch all the original episodes to see if there's any big points that are being missed. But I, I think I agree with you. The all the information on screen feels relevant and it doesn't feel too fast. Yeah, I agree. There will be some scenes that I want to talk about later as far as stuff that they cut. Uh, but we'll kind of get to that as we kind of move forward with the story with. Gohan now collecting the Dragon Ball and making his way back to Balma, uh, he he manages to catch the attention, catch the eye of Vegeta after Vegeta has kind of collected his five Dragon Balls. And then in turn, as Gohan is flying, uh, I think that kind of leads us into... Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, I think. Um, Yeah, I think we got uh, Vegeta has collected five Dragon Balls and he uh, as he's admiring them, he happens to see Krillin flying by with a Dragon Ball himself. And this is where Vegeta decides, hey, 
It's my lucky day. That guy has a Dragon Ball, so I get to kill another person and get a Dragon Ball? This is great. And so Vegeta gives chase. And as Vegeta flies off, Zarbon notices them, and he flies off, and it looks like we got a real party about to happen now. That's what it was. I mixed up uh, Krillin for Gohan in this situation. Krillin is the one with his Dragon Ball from the Grand Elder. Uh, and yeah, now we've got this chase sequence. I think I, this is hilarious, by the way. This is so funny. It's also very believable that something like this would happen with so many powerful people flying around. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it's just a funny thing to have people flying in the air and then them just like see each other and be like, I'm going to chase after that guy. And then another, I'm going to chase after that guy. <laughs> uh, and so it, it it results in Vegeta kind of landing down, being like, hey, Baldy, give me that Dragon Ball. And then Zarbon being like, yo, bitch, give me my Dragon Balls. And the the fun part here, too, is that this turns into a fight between Vegeta and Zarbon. And Krillin and Balmar are just standing by like, uh, whoever wins, we lose here. <laughs> yeah, and... Vegeta has been very stern with them. If they try to leave, he's going to just kill them. And so they're they're going to stay put. They're going to watch this fight. And then Vegeta will come back once he's finished his work. Yeah, they even even in the middle of this fight, uh, Bulma and Krillin try to run away. And Vegeta just like lays waste to the land in front of them is like, don't fucking move. I'm coming for you next. <laughs> I um, this is a pretty brief fight, though, between Vegeta and Zarbon, but I do think there's some fun stuff in it. It's so Vegeta pretty much got his stuff kicked in the last time he fought Zarbon, but he's got that saying power up of every time he gets his butt kicked, he gets stronger. Right. And so at the beginning of this fight, we see Vegeta kind of, I don't know, I guess feigning weakness to kind of draw Zarbon in and get his guard down. And then Vegeta being I don't know. It's some cross between a tactician and a dickhead decides to like throw dirt in Zarbon's eyes and just he's fighting super dirty. I mean, it's yeah, that's it, a good way to put it. It is just he's a, he's fighting smart, but he's fighting dirty here. And it's like Vegeta, Vegeta doesn't care. He's not an honorable person. All he cares about is getting the win. And you can tell pretty quickly here that even without Vegeta being tactical necessarily, he's got the upper hand in power against Zarbon, even after Zarbon transforms. So this results in Vegeta kind of coming out on top here. Uh, Vegeta gets a, a beautiful punch into Zarbon's gut, just as Zarbon's like about to get his hands on Vegeta. And as Zarbon kind of pleads for his life, saying that we can fight Frieza together, Vegeta says, yeah, I can't trust you, bitch, and blasts a hole through Zarbon's body. <laughs> yeah, if, if anything, um, the way Zarbon begs for his life just enrages Vegeta, right? And that kind of spurs on an even quicker timely death. And that's that's kind of where this episode ends. It's the end of the fight, and now it's Krillin and uh, Balma left with the diabolical evil prince. And this all kicks off in episode 27. A hair trigger pinch. Gohan, protect the four-star ball. Which, I didn't realize that he had the four-star ball. That's so fitting. 
Yeah, that is that detail is great too. We'll talk about that in a second because the start of the episode is Krillin giving over the one star Dragon Ball to Vegeta and basically just saying, All right, you can have the Dragon Ball, just promise that you won't hurt me or my friends. And Vegeta. Vegeta believes, fully believes right now that he has the last Dragon Ball that he needs in his possession because he stole five Dragon Balls from Frieza's ship. He hid one in the water outside of the Namekian village that he destroyed. And then he retrieved this last one from Krillin. So that's seven. However, we as the audience know that Gohan took that four-star ball from the water as Vegeta kind of flies away, leaving Krillin and Balma in one piece. Yeah, and it's sort of a relief for them, but Vegeta's also heading in the exact same direction that Gohan had gone to collect said Dragon Ball. And these two are on a collision course, and at the last kind of possible second... Gohan senses Vegeta's energy and kind of ducks for cover with his Dragon Ball kind of tucked in with him. Well, Vegeta has also sensed Gohan, and once he arrives at the location, threatens to blow up everything if he doesn't come out. And this is where Gohan's big play kind of comes in. He steps out behind the the little hill, the little piece of cover he was in, and he leaves the Dragon Ball back where he was standing. And he kind of feigns this, I'm just out here, I'm just flying around. Oh, what's this thing in my hand? It's not a dragon radar, it's just a pocket watch. I love that so much. Uh, th- I, honestly, I, I love this whole exchange because the Dragon Ball is like right on the other side of that lip. Uh, Gohan, I mean, is a child trying to hide this magical orb from Vegeta, this, you know, monster of a man who almost killed Gohan and his father and his friends. And Vegeta (laughs) feeling cocky and also probably a little insecure, uh, grabs Gohan with a smile and just, rams his knee into the child's stomach. Uh, I mean, I even love Vegeta's comment here as he says, I've got a message for you to deliver to your father for me and then blast Gohan in the stomach. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's such a love letter to Vegeta's character at this point, how just savage he is and also how egotistical he is. He's on cloud nine at this point, and this is just, he's doing this for for shiggles at this point. He's just having a good time. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing in both of these last couple of scenarios is that Vegeta could have easily killed Balma and Krillin, could have easily killed Gohan. I imagine part of the reason why he doesn't is because, one, He's he is genuinely so happy and excited that he thinks he's about to get immortality. But two, he probably is a little bit worried in terms of time, like if Frieza, for whatever reason, goes out to find Vegeta himself, Vegeta's screwed. So that that is kind of how i justify this in my head as vegeta can just kind of like leaves the rest of them alone and alive my big takeaway from all this is 
This is a a great episode that really encapsulates uh, how Goku's upbringing shaped him and how Gohan's upbringing was very, very different than Goku's. And it's pretty obvious to see why they turned out to be different people. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Like the the funny thing is that they both had childhoods where they had to fight I mean, you know, powerful opponents, but Goku was never really in situations quite like Gohan's here where you're so so out of your depth. I mean, Goku almost always felt like he was capable of handling the situations that he was in for the most part. Yeah, it, Goku always felt like he was going up the stairs, right? He was he was always reaching for the next rung he should be reaching for. Um Gohan is gosh fighting some of the strongest people in the universe right now. I mean, that's a far cry from what Goku was doing when he was the same age. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Gohan's on a planet trying to run from, I mean, not only Vegeta uh, to say nothing of, you know, the Saiyan Prince, but the, what is essentially the emperor of the universe in Frieza, arguably right now, the strongest person in the universe who could you know murder him with a flick of his finger yeah it's and i mean gohan is he he's really learning how to survive he's not really learning how to how to beat people in martial arts he's not training under roshi right now he's i mean he's not getting kid gloves at all through any step of his upbringing i my heart goes out to that kid man he's had a rough go I mean, the interesting thing is that Gohan put himself, at least this time, Gohan put himself in this situation. Obviously, he didn't have a choice when Piccolo kidnapped him and trained him in the wild for a year. But this time, Gohan was like, a bunch of my friends got killed. I feel vaguely responsible because I wasn't able to offer much help in that fight, even though I'm five years old. Uh, But... I want to go to Namek and I want to see what I can do to help resurrect my friends. And now <laughs> he's just in this, he, like you said, there's no kid gloves. He's, he's in the deep end. There's no, there's no easy way out of this for him. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's what the scene made me think of. Once he got that knee from Vegeta, I was just like, man, this has been, this has been a rough trip for a really young kid. And None of it is really his fault. It wasn't supposed to be this much of a disaster. These powerful people weren't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be just a, I'm going to take the trip with my friends and we're going to make everything right. And it's, it's important for me to, to fix things, especially with Mr. Piccolo. Oh man. What, what a heartbreak. I know. Right. But kind of, uh, in the background of all this stuff going on though, um, we see that Goku has been continuing his intense gravity training. And this is where we see him charging up a Kamehameha wave and launching it around in a circle and then just kind of enduring it with his own body, almost like a Buddhist monk sort of thing. And we see him collapse to the ground and have to take another sensu bean. I love these little training scenes that they selected to put it. I'm glad they're not like inundating us with them, but they are like, kind of taking the best ones and letting us see them. Oh, I think Kai's done a great job. 
I, yeah, I agree. I love these training scenes as well. I, although I think you mentioned this off the podcast one time that there was in the original Dragon Ball Z, there's an entire episode of Goku when he gets in trouble with the gravity. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, there is. There's an entire episode where he bumps the gravity too high and then flops around like a fish for the entire episode until he can fix the gravity. It's, I don't miss that episode. I mean, if you want to make a little nod to it, like, and make it just a 15 second scene and make it funny, I'm cool with that, but we don't need this life or death kind of artificial situation in the artificial gravity. Yeah, there are a couple of scenes, like I think even in this scene where he blasts himself, where he's he has to like crawl along the floor to get the sensu bean. So he's having a hard time of it. Uh, I think there's even another scene in one of these episodes where <laughs> he's resting or sleeping on the floor and then he wakes up to like the 50 or 100 times gravity and he just can't get up in the moment because his body's so exhausted. So <laughs> they kind of allude to that sort of struggle but you don't have to waste an entire episode on it yes i think it's very tastefully done in kai we get we get the message but we don't get the the big time sink that goes with that message because we don't really need it right it's i like seeing that incremental increase in in goku's training regiment i like seeing the advancement but um unless you're spending some time going in depth on some cool training he's doing or something um just show what he's doing and then you know kind of show me where the measuring stick is at now and then let's keep moving. And I think Kai's been doing that fantastically. Yeah, I agree. There are fun little snippets in between the the main story that's going on right now, which also continues here with Gohan making his way back to Krillin and Balma with the four-star Dragon Ball that he was able to successfully hide from Vegeta. And then our our perspective cuts over to Vegeta in the destroyed Namekian village as he tries to find the Dragon Ball that he hid and fails to do so. Thinking back on his interaction with Gohan, thinking, wait a minute, that wasn't a clock. (laughs) This is, I think this has always been just a fantastically animated little sequence where Vegeta realizes that he's been duped and you see him just bubble over with rage and scream off just fury boiling over in his eyes as he just I careens into a straight line towards where our heroes were like I love just the rage that's pouring from him during this little sequence here. Now, I want to talk about this scene for a little bit because I I agree with you. I love this sequence. I love this scene. And this scene has stuck with me since I was a child. And so I had to go out onto YouTube and just look up a comparison of all the different renditions of this scene. Because I'll I'll be honest, as much as I love Chris Sabat and his performance as Vegeta and Piccolo, I was a little bit underwhelmed with this screaming scene uh, with the the kind of audible performance here. And so I went back and I watched the original Oceans dub uh, with Brian Drummond as Vegeta. Uh, uh, seeing that one made me remember that that is the one that stuck in my head. But even that one to me was kind of meh. And then I saw the original Dragon Ball Z performance of Chris Sabat, uh, And that one was maybe my least favorite. 
But the one that actually sticks out to me is the one that I'm like, oh, this is good. Funny enough is the Dragon Ball Z abridged one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) So, I mean, hats off to the Team Four Star guys because the scream for Vegeta in that scene is so good, so well done. And I will never forget that scene as a result. You know, it's funny too, because typically if in the past, if I wanted to brush up on Dragon Ball Z and I didn't feel like watching 300 episodes, I would just watch a bridge because I got to laugh and it pretty much gave me all the important points in a humorous way of watching Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, and I mean, they they even do the scream in a humorous way as uh, the scream is heard by Gohan, Krillin, Frieza, even Goku in his space pod, and even Vegeta's son Trunks in the future. So, <laughs> <laughs> so good. yeah, they do it pretty well. But uh, really, just uh, regardless of the comedy, as much as I love the comedy in that scene, it's the scream, the delivery of that scream for Vegeta as he blasts out of the water is so good in the abridged version. Um, I mean, props to Chris Sabat. He does an excellent job as Vegeta. I just, I wasn't feeling it for this scene, unfortunately. I, I agree with you. I wanted a little bit more oomph out of the scream, but it's still... Just the animation is enough to to just hearken all those memories and just that rage that I I could feel from that character the first time I saw that scene. Yeah, it is a great scene, really good animation and very memorable for Vegeta. Uh, I will stop harping on the scene, but I had to talk about it for a minute there. <laughs> You're right. It's it's a great scene. Could be greater, though. Could be better. That's um, right. Yeah, and it's at this point that uh, it's a good thing that our heroes decided to move and lay low because when Vegeta had arrived and they weren't there, he blew up everything. But (laughs) now our heroes are in a weird spot where Vegeta is now hunting for them and they can't raise their power levels. Otherwise, they'll be found. Yeah, they've at this point relocated to a place that is uh, not to Balma's liking. Uh, However, at this point, Gohan and Krillin, well, Krillin has a plan. He wants to take Gohan to see Guru because he wants to get Gohan's potential unlocked here. However, like you said, Dayton, they're going to have to do that kind of on the stealthier side lest vegeta find them and murder them (laughs) yeah so they're they're gonna have to take it slow and while this is being discussed and happening uh frieza is just done frieza has hit a snapping point and is just firing random blasts from his spaceship across the landscape just putting holes in the planet at this point just because I love this. When I first saw the visual of just like this kind of red pinkish streak or key blast across the landscape, I was kind of like, I don't remember this. What is this from? And then we just see Frieza throwing a tantrum. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) See, I laughed because when I saw the pink thing, I thought I was like, man, has it been five days already? Is the Ginyu Force already here? Oh, no. Frieza's just angry. 
I thought the same thing. I was like, I don't remember the the Ginyu Force getting here already at this point, but because they the visual for the Ginyu Force arriving is a little bit similar, but mm-hmm. it's those same pods. They they kind of look like key blasts fall, falling from the sky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though, and temper tantrum is a good way to put it. I love Frieza, the Lord Tyrant of the universe, having a temper tantrum. It's so hilarious. It's great. I love it, and this kind of turns into. Uh, Vegeta just sitting around on his balls. Uh, I mean, he's got six Dragon Balls and he doesn't have a great way to find Gohan and Krillin now that they've kind of hidden their power. So he's thinking like, oh, I got to wait for them to come to me. Uh, However, I think before the end of this episode, we get another training shot of Goku. And I'm going to deliberately describe this training shot as a way that foreshadows um, because it is Goku using two energy blasts, controlling them at the same time and also dipping into Kaioken. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, Oh, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. We it is kind of comical, though, because Goku's trying to control one and then hit it by controlling a Kamehameha wave at the same time and ends up hitting himself with both blasts. But thankfully he survives pretty unscathed kind of commenting on he, how strong he's gotten and he can kind of see the improvements. Yeah, this is pretty cool. And I actually didn't even make that connection. Uh, you'll have to bring that up when it comes up, but I think the, the very tail end here, as we're kind of getting like a couple of, quick snippets to close out the episode we do get to see five space pods very similar in make to the saiyan space pods flying through space making their way to planet namek and that's going to be our ginyu force almost getting ready to arrive on namek which is crazy because five days is apparently just a couple episodes like one or two. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with the Guinea Force uh, arriving soon, that brings us straight into episode 28, which is the super decisive battle draws near. The Ginyu special squad has arrived. So yeah, I, <laughs> that, I guess they're arriving this episode. Uh, but until they arrive, Gohan and Krillin decide that they've made enough distance from their campsite that they think they can kind of pick up the pace and not be noticed. And of course, Vegeta notices them immediately and grabs a Dragon Ball and just starts pursuing them. Yeah, he got pretty good at this energy sense in business pretty damn quick. So uh, I think our Z fighters are going to find themselves in a little bit of trouble here. We do get to see yet another kind of interspersed scene of Goku training, which is another great one as he's just doing one-handed standing push-ups counting to 10,000. <laughs> I love these silly numbers that they they count up to when they're doing these exercises like this. It just it cracks me up. I think uh what was it when Goku was training on Hiroshi and stuff, he was supposed to do like a thousand one-handed push-ups and stuff like that. So it does kind of harken back to those same types of uh training that he did as a child just He's an adult now. The training's a little bit more extreme and the numbers are a little bit more goofy. I mean, the funny part about this to me is that 
I mean, Dragon Ball has always been kind of ridiculous in terms of power and the power levels, and they continue to skyrocket and get out of control. In Dragon Ball Super, when Goku and Vegeta train with Whis, the numbers that they say for like the standing pushups that they're doing are like in the millions and billions sometimes, which is just hilarious to me. <laughs> it's like, can't you just put more weight on them? Do we have to do 50 million reps? Nope. Got to do 50 million <laughs> plus the weighted equipment. <laughs> I I mean, honestly, can Goku even count to 50 million? Let's let's be real here. That's a good point. He probably just keeps following Vegeta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the I mean, the cool part about this is that Goku is basically mastered the 100 times gravity the Max's ship could output. And now it's time for him to get kind of cleaned up and it seems like he's he's getting ready for the big arrival at Namek here soon. Yeah, it's fun also to watch him. He basically turns the gravity from 100 times Earth's gravity to one to Earth's normal gravity just to kind of like acclimate before he actually has to fight in kind of normal gravity. And he's I mean, he's soaring on clouds like he's just talking about how light he feels, which Makes sense after being in 100 times gravity for 10 days. <laughs> it's fun. And it's, I mean, it's, it's everything starting to come together and it kind of needs to, because we are now back over on Namek where Krillin and Gohan are about to arrive at Guru's. And as they approach, they realize that, oh no, Vegeta has been following them the whole time. And so Krillin decides that he's going to do the brave thing and stall Vegeta while Gohan gets his sweet, sweet power up. And very shortly after Vegeta arrives, he realizes, hey, something's up with that building over there. I'm just going to ignore you and go straight in, which I love. Vegeta is always on the right trail. He's almost always correct. I love this, man. I even love Vegeta as he comes flying in, zipping past Krillin, and there's just smoke coming off of his body from how <laughs> fast he was going. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I mean, the only better thing is if he was wearing a leather jacket, but he <laughs> he comes up to the building, and this is where we see Nail kind of step out to greet the unwelcomed visitor. But what Nail and Krillin are doing is they're buying enough time for Gohan at this point. And he's able to get this unlocked potential before he steps out. And we kind of have this brief moment where it seems like the three of them are going to square off. Man, there's so much about this that I'm like, I wish that this would have happened or I wish that that would have happened. Like, I, I wish Krillin, because Krillin just kind of like yells at Vegeta, like, hey, don't go in there. I wish we could see Krillin like attack Vegeta and see what happens in that moment. I wish that we could see Vegeta and Nail go at it. Like, this is this is such a fucking cock tease in this moment right now. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know how powerful Nail is compared to Vegeta in this moment or vice versa. Like, I feel like I, I kind of think that Nail could take Vegeta here. What do you think, Dayton? Oh, man, it's I don't think we've seen Nail fight at this point. Have we in Kai? The only no, the only time we ever see Nail fight and slight spoiler is when he fights Frieza. And that's the only fucking yardstick that we have for his power. Basically, period. <laughs> I think if I had a guess, kind of using a little bit of future knowledge, because it has been a while since I've seen it. Um I would say probably Nail and Vegeta are probably neck and neck at this point. 
I think they're yeah. at about the same power level, if I had a guess. I I wouldn't uh I wouldn't say that that's incorrect, especially because just the way that this scene is kind of framed as they like stand off against one another, it makes it feel like they're they're close at least, right? Yeah, and I mean, Nail can sense power levels too. And Vegeta hasn't hesitated to raise his power level. So Nail probably has a pretty good idea of what he's up against. And once again, using that future knowledge, the way he interacts with Frieza and his game plan is very different than his game plan against Vegeta. Yeah, that's that's a good point, uh, because Nail, at least if Nail's been paying attention, which he almost certainly has, he's got a good gauge of how strong Vegeta is here. And also, though, I mean, uh, I think you're right. However, I also think that Nail, regardless of how strong Vegeta is, would have co- gone out there and been like, you're not getting to Guru, bitch. I'm stopping you right now. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's I man, I, I would have loved to have seen that. But we don't get to see that because Guru lets everyone know that uh, there's a bunch of power levels, evil big power levels heading towards the planet right now. Yeah. And this is just after Guru has now had enough time to unlock Gohan's potential. The, I love the writing in this scene. I, I hope, I hope that this is also in the manga. Uh, Regardless, it's great because Vegeta says, Oh, Oh, you're hiding Kakarot in there. Come out and fight me, you coward. And that's the moment that Gohan steps out. <laughs> I oh, love this so much. That's so funny. I mean, it's... They, they're they able to sense kind of like a personality in the energy, right? They're able to sense whether something's evil or not, or I guess there's almost... I don't know. There's got to be some coloration or depth to a person's energy. And it makes sense to me that Gohan and Goku would share that same kind of depth or color or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, I love that kind of mistake that Vegeta made because if you're just sensing energy and mind you, Gohan just got a big power up and he hasn't seen Goku, you know, since he fought him on Earth. Why wouldn't he think that that was Goku? That's the most powerful Earthling he's ever sensed. I mean, I think that the other I agree with you 100 percent. And I love that. And I I think that the other thing that this alludes to is that Gohan is probably in this moment on par with Goku when Vegeta fought Goku on Earth. That's probably about the the sort of boost that Gohan got. Which is, I bet you Gohan's even more powerful than that. He might be, honestly. Because uh, I think um I think they quote unquote powered him up with his uh image training he did with Krillin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he got a power up there. And then after the power up from guru, I think he's, I think he's even stronger than what Goku was on, on earth. Gohan's probably in, I would, I don't know. Power levels are BS, but if I had to guess in the <laughs> tens of thousands, like I could see Gohan being like 20 or 30,000. Yeah. I, I think, I think even by like the, the dragon ball guides and stuff, I think at this point he's in like the low 20 thousands, if I remember correctly, which is in the ballpark of where Goku and Vegeta fought when they were on earth. Okay. I mean, 
Goku, of course, had Kaioken boosting him up and stuff, so it gets a little bit wibbly wobbly and weird there. I'm not going to get lost in the weeds and the numbers. I just we'll just go with rough gut feeling of. I think Gohan is is probably stronger than and in the same ballpark, very closely in the same ballpark. But also, I mean, it you also have to take into account um, like fighting prowess. Gohan could be very strong. But he's very inexperienced. He's not very tactical. Um, I mean, I don't know how that weighs into how scouters sense power level or not. I think it is like fighting capability, but I don't know. I don't know how it works. Yeah, the scouters get a little bit more tricky. I mean, the the interesting thing is that the the note that you made about Gohan not being very capable potentially, or at least not experienced, uh, it comes into play here because Vegeta now says, hey, the Ginyu Force is coming. We're all fucked unless you guys give me that Dragon Ball and I can wish for immortality. And Krillin even gets to a point where he's like, I mean, they they quickly are kind of on board here because they don't know. They, they can just feel these strong powers and they can tell it's not Goku because there's five of them. So Krillin says, well why don't we wish for Gohan to be immortal? And Vegeta's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's so <laughs> green. He has no idea how to fight. He has no tactical battle sense. Like we'll get ourselves all killed, even though he won't be able to die. <laughs> and this, this probably would have stayed in a stalemate until, uh, nail reveals that the Namekian dragon balls, they're a little bit more juiced up than the Earth Dragon Balls, and they actually grant three wishes rather than one. And so Krillin's kind of swayed by, one, the promise that Vegeta's going to leave them the hell alone, and two, there are some other wishes on the line, so that way they can actually bring back some of the people that they wanted and still accomplish their goal. And so we have this kind of, uh, yeah, I still don't really trust you, but I still might be able to get my wishes done, and also we're running out of time and I don't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a bit of a forced alliance here, uh, but as a result, it turns into our Saiyan antagonist, our half Saiyan in Gohan and our Earthling in Krillin all flying off to go collect all of the Dragon Balls together for the first time. And. Uh, we we do get to see a brief scene with uh, Guru saying they better wish make their wishes pretty quickly because I'm going to die anytime soon. <laughs> sure would be a real dick move to die right now. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's I mean, give Z some credit. They are building up like the just Everything's so tense right now. The the drama is so built up. Like the tension is there. I can't believe all the things that they got going on and being timed together at once right now to make this situation as stressful as possible. I think it is phenomenal writing. And it's this situation right here where you're striking, you're making deals with the devil to try and stay in the game, right? I love this writing. Me too. I the Namek saga is definitely one of my favorites and with a lot of the filler taken out i'm really enjoying our run through kai right now as we get to see what is 
maybe one of my favorite sequences as the Ginyu Force land on oh, Namek. so good! Ginyu Force <laughs> rules! Ginyu Force rules! Man, the fact that they kept, like, what is basically the original music from the Japanese, and then so just, good. they just changed the lyrics. I mean, they put some English to the lyrics. Uh, Ginyu Force rules works. Uh, and <laughs> I, I was so into it. I Okay, so I, they did this music in uh, Abridged, but I'd never yeah. heard the Japanese. I didn't realize that this was the actual Japanese music. And I <laughs> I had flashbacks to abridged and like I couldn't figure out if this was real or not, but also ugh, I went through just a, a roller coaster of emotion and it all of it good. Yeah, I mean abridged just full on ripped the original Japanese uh rendition for their version of Dragon Ball Z. And Kai basically did the same except they they put the english to it i'm totally fine with that makes sense for the english audience and it works so well (laughs) they they did miss uh they did miss frieza's ringtone and the new scouters but i'll I'll forgive them for it i i love that ringtone man that is my (laughs) ringtone on my phone because it's so good so good it's so good but yeah they they show up in in all the style and poise that you would expect out of uh the the main villains and we see them kind of get together and they're doing dances and posing and i mean we get kind of the quick introduction into all of them right we get the towering raccoon who's got like a little tuft of orange hair on the top of his head we've got the purple alien birder who's i mean kind of looks like frieza but also a lizard um <laughs> we've got the rockin red jace who has white long hair um not very much else alien about that man uh, and we've got green frog looking Goldo, who uh, is very, very short and frog looking with four eyes, uh, kind of a creepy little dude. And finally, we're introduced to the horny captain, Captain Ginyu. Hell yeah. And not only introduced to them, we get a full on Power Rangers esque slash yes. magical girls dance intro sequence with these flashing backgrounds and stuff, and then full on like the full five Ginyu Force pose. It's so good. I love it so much. And we also, before we move forward, because I can't help myself, we have to at least touch on the name puns for the Ginyu Force because I love them. Uh, some of them are a little less obvious, but all of the Ginyu Force names are puns on dairy products. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, they're the Dairy Force, right? That's that's kind of the alternative name for them. Yeah, the Dairy Force or the Milky Force. Uh, Gin, Ginyu, uh, as Captain Ginyu, it literally translates into like milk or cow's milk. Uh and then we've got, of course, uh, Berter is butter. We've got Raccoon, which is kind of a weird one because it switches some of the letters around, but it's supposed to be cream. We've got <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Jace, which is one that I always mess up and I want to say juice, but that's not a dairy product. Jace is supposed to be cheese. Oh, okay. I actually didn't know that one. And the other one that's a weird one is Goldo, which is 
it's like part of a word i believe in japanese that means yogurt i know for sure it's yogurt it's just a weird (laughs) doesn't really sit there very well but for anybody who's the japanese audience they probably understand it better i mean it's great because we we see kind of family themes like this all the time or group themes like this with the saiyans being vegetables and uh we've got the what the brief slash briefs family all being named after underwear and garment and stuff like that. It's I, I love that they keep carrying out these themes. It just works. And quite frankly, I, when I was real young and I watched all this stuff, I never put that together in my head. Oh, I, uh, since I was a kid, I have always loved the, the name puns. I think it's why I have a deep appreciation for puns is just strictly because of dragon ball. But yeah, I mean, we get like Frieza's henchmen are all named after fruit. Like there's there's so many. I mean, fucking planet Vegeta. It's a it's a fuck the planet of vegetables, man. Like <laughs> the prince of vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. I mean, this intro is just it's a work of art. Um, this is actually probably one of the, the few instances where all of the touch ups and changes they made to the Ginyu Force introduction, I think, improved it over the original material. I, you know, I didn't pay, I don't think I paid super close attention. I guess they're, I'm kind of zipping through it right now. There I mean, like couple... with the music additions and stuff like that, I think it's, I'm not just saying art side, I'm saying just all the changes they made and the stuff they shortcutted because it's Kai and just everything seems to just work here and it's fun and you get to the point and we're blasting off to the action. I, I love it. Yeah, I agree. The funny thing is, I think I'm, uh, well, I'm, almost certain that while it's a deviation from like the original dub of Dragon Ball Z in the way that they introduced the Ginyu Force, it's actually more true to the original rendition. It's basically just hearkening back to the original Japanese version. So well, then the Japanese guys did it perfectly and I, we, we screwed it up. What are you guys doing over there at Dub City? That's fucking right. Funimation. <laughs> At least Funimation went back and fixed their mistakes. They so did I'll fix it. it. This was them. excellent. I didn't realize I had missed out on so much. Yeah, this is... Uh, I love this. Uh, I think... Does that bring us to the tail end of this episode? Yeah, the only thing we got to touch on is that Vegeta, Krillin, and Gohan quickly stop at where Balma's kind of hold up at. They grab the final Dragon Ball... And now they have all seven kind of in their possession. They just need to reunite them at the spot that Vegeta has the rest of them at. And so they're they're zooming off in that direction. Ginyu Force are planet side. Um, yeah, everyone's in a rush and the episode kind of comes to an end, which brings us into episode 29. The Special Squad's Frontline Man, Break Gerd's Spell. <laughs> Gerd, I believe being Goldo in this case. Uh, for the English audience here. But this episode kind of starts with, now that the Ginyu Force has arrived, they also have the new and improved scouters that Freezer requested, and they quickly put them to use in detecting Vegeta, Gohan, and Krillin as they're flying pretty much full speed to get to the remaining Dragon Balls uh, two in hand and five laying in wait. Uh, and this turns into the Ginyu Force basically flying off. Uh, Frieza says he wants Vegeta brought to him 
uh, so that he can, you know, ask him any questions he might have. And the Ginyu Force can play with or take care of the other two runs. He doesn't give a shit about them. Yeah, and it's the Ginyu Force are more than happy to help, and they do their little dance of victory before blasting off, which, of course, makes Frieza just a little uncomfortable, but... You know, the fanfare is part of the charm and Frieza needs to get used to it. Um, But we do have a quick scene after this where we see Goku's kind of woken up and he's woken up by the ship announcing that he will be arriving at planet Namek soon. And we kind of get the scene of Goku suiting back up, putting on a fresh uh, training gi. And he's I mean, there's this cool scene where he's kind of standing on the ship looking out a window and he he knows what's ahead of him. He knows these just colossal power levels that are waiting down on the planet and how bad things are. But for some reason he's calm. He's not nervous at all. And there's this sort of confidence running through him right now. Yeah. And we're, for those of us who have watched through, especially the original Dragon Ball up into Dragon Ball Z, we're familiar with this from Goku. He's usually excited by the challenge of facing somebody who's probably even stronger than he is. Uh, And we kind of cut back over to Namek to see the events unfold as Vegeta, Gohan, and Krillin land where the remaining five Dragon Balls are. And just as they're about to run into the little cave that's holding the Dragon Balls, none other than the Ginyu Force come flying in right in front of them, cutting them off. And Vegeta is too late to get his wish for immortality. Yeah, and considering what Vegeta's done to all of Frieza's other henchmen, seeing Vegeta kind of nervous and unsure at this point, it's, you know, these guys mean business. And kind of thinking on his feet, Vegeta turns and he goes to hurl one of the Dragon Balls off into the distance. Well, I mean, it seemed like a good idea, but as he hurls it, we see a very slow motion cutscene where Birder zooms out, catches the Dragon Ball midair, and pops back, kind of back in formation before anyone can really blink an eye. And this is kind of a preview of Birder shtick, which is the fastest man in the universe. Yeah, this is this is cool because we already know how powerful Vegeta is. I mean, he's certainly no slouch. Uh, for Birder to just grab the thrown ball that Vegeta chucked and then be right back in place where he was with the Ginyu Force before Vegeta can even turn back around, it's impressive this is this is the start of the measuring stick to see where the ginyu force is yep and we get another measuring moment when vegeta's still trying to keep the ginyu force from getting all seven dragon balls where he kind of turns and barks at krillin to destroy the final dragon ball they have but as krillin is like mid punch the dragon ball just sort of pops out of his hand and he punches through nothing but air and this is where we see Goldo standing there kind of mocking them with the Dragon Ball in his possession. This is where we learn that he can apparently slow or stop time. This this moment has bothered me since I was like 12 years old, because in my head, I've wondered for the longest goddamn time. Can you really break a Dragon Ball like that? Can you just punch the damn thing and destroy it? I mean, it's not like Krillin's weak by any means, but can you just 
destroy them like that? Like, what would that do? What would be the ramifications of that? I mean, my thing is, is I'm going to say yes, because you can just kill the eternal dragon. So why wouldn't you be able to break his balls? I mean, I don't know, man. Like it's, it, it feels a little bit different to me, but I mean, Dragon Ball Z Abridged tried to show exactly what happens with Krillin just like busting his knuckles on the thing. I mean, um, you know, Piccolo had a power level of what a couple hundred and he was able to kill the eternal dragon. That's true. I mean, Krillin's in the thousands, so, you know, maybe he could just punch one of the orbs and shatter but it. Maybe not these ones. These are some big balls and this is a pretty powerful dragon. I don't know. I, I think yes. I just don't know how high the the threshold is so i'm gonna go with yes but with an asterisk yeah that's fair I, anyway we'll never know the answer i've just <laughs> always been curious we'll do uh, a whole episode on it can you break these balls <laughs> ball busters i like it <laughs> so anyway uh goldo stops us from answering that question and this is where <laughs> things kind of take a comical turn where Everyone in the Ginyu Force starts kind of bickering over who's going to get to kill who. And Captain Ginyu decides that he'll just let his men decide he won't take any of the fun because he's the best captain. And they all applaud him for it. He's such a good guy. So he takes the Dragon Balls and he starts heading back to Frieza. So now Frieza has all seven Dragon Balls heading back. Yeah, this is a big deal. I fucking love the Ginyu Force here, by the way. This is this the whole few next episodes are gonna be like some of my favorite. Uh but just yeah, watching them be, you know, play rock, paper, scissors, treating this I mean, treating the lives of Vegeta, Gohan, and Krillin like a game, basically, to them is uh, I mean, funny, disrespectful, crazy, like it it's just a wild scene. And as a result of the games, uh, Goldo and Raccoon kind of come out on top. Raccoon kind of magnanimously uh, allowing Goldo to take the first swing at Krillin and Gohan. Yeah, and we do get a moment, though, where Vegeta is kind of strategizing with Krillin and Gohan, kind of being the, the party leader and... I mean, they're they're taking that moment to really kind of show Vegeta's character. He's a very experienced fighter. He's fought on countless planets and murdered I don't know how many civilizations. And he's using all that experience to, well, try and save all their skins in this one moment. And after this pep talk from our Prince of Strategy, we get Raccoon and Goldo st- stepping out and Krillin and Gohan, they prepare to take on Goldo. And right away, we see the whole... Uh, they don't know how to suppress their power. And Goldo's kind of taken off, like he's kind of taken aback by the fact that Gohan and Krillin spike their power level straight up. And he's kind of on the back foot at the beginning of this fight. I love this scene too. I love watching Gohan and Krillin power up here and just kind of surprising all of them as their scouters get these wild readings. Uh, And as they quickly the two of them kind of leap into the air and fire off key blasts at Goldo trying to, again, catch him by surprise. We as the audience get to see exactly how his time stop works as he sucks in air and holds his breath, stopping the key blasts right in front of his face. And then he quickly runs away. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, 
runs out of breath and then has to release it where his time stop now stops working. <laughs> yeah, and we we see this limitation. So Goldo can't do it for forever. And this kind of same sequence happens again where Goldo has to hold his breath and stop time to get out of danger. And after two or three times of this, we see his fellow Ginyu Force members actually kind of heckling him, telling him that, you know, he's embarrassing them and that he needs to step it up and they're going to make him sit at the kid's table. Like, they're just, they're ragging on him. They're being awful to him, and it's hilarious. Yeah, they're ruthless, man. But this this feels like that sort of, I don't know, when you're, maybe it's not a a positive thing necessarily, but when a bunch of guys get together and they're just kind of like ribbing each other and poking fun at each other and uh, trying to just show who's the best, it, it, it feels like that sort of vibe here. And so Goldo well, put a pin into that because the, the vibe feels a little different and, and a little bit. That's true. Uh, but Goldo kind of takes that ribbing to heart and pulls out one of his, one of his strongest techniques uh, as he locks Krillin and Gohan in place, this time not having to hold his breath, using his psychic powers to kind of freeze them in one spot uh, so that now he just kind of has them at his mercy. Yeah, and our heroes, as much as they struggle, they're unable to move, and Goldo's throwing rocks and dirt and all kinds of crap at them while they're stuck in the air. And he even takes a tree and sharpens the end of it, and he's getting ready to to skewer Krillin. He's, and he's kind of toying with his life, kind of saying, oh, you get out of the way. Oh, no, why aren't you moving? Just really having fun. And as he kind of moves this, this sharpened tree in for the kill, this is where we see kind of uh, anime slash across the screen. And then Goldo's head topples to the floor as Vegeta steps in during a moment of opportunity to save the day. Yeah. And the rest of the Ginyu force is kind of complaining like, Oh, Vegeta, this was supposed to be a match between Goldo and the two runts. And Vegeta's like, that was your rules, bitch. I didn't agree to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because they're, they say it like, you know, like Vegeta spilled their milk, not like they lost one of their friends. It's really funny the way they treat this. And then they do fall into a panic when they realize that now their team pose is all messed up and it just doesn't look right. They're more upset about the team pose than they are about Goldo's death. It's imbalanced, man. It's <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> but it's this is where all that ribbing and boys being boys thing takes that turn of, wow, these guys are really actually just jerks. Yeah, they absolutely are. I also really enjoy the fact that Vegeta kind of lops Goldo's head off and then whatever alien race that Goldo is, he continues to have a conversation with Vegeta for a few moments until Vegeta decides he's done with it and just blasts his head into oblivion. It's really <laughs> interesting. I, I mean, I'm glad they don't ever explain it. I just assume it's because it looks like frogs breathe out of their chin. I, they don't, but it looks like it. <laughs> I'll take it. I mean, it's weird, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, uh, but that, guess what? We're back to rock, paper, scissors, baby. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, this, it's absolutely savage. Yeah. Uh, Jace and Berger are trying to figure out who gets to fight next. However, 
we do know that Raccoon is also kind of in line to take on Vegeta. And I think as they're kind of trying to decide that, that kind of wraps up the episode. It does. It brings us into episode 30, which is the hellish Raccoon. Keep me entertained, Vegeta. And we kind of get a shot of, uh, at the beginning of this one, of Captain Ginyu continuing his trek back to Lord Frieza. And, I mean, yeah, he still hasn't made it back yet. I have no idea how the passage of time works into this, but days can go by, but it takes like an hour. I don't know. So anyway, Raccoon steps forward <laughs> and Raccoon is fantastic because as he steps forward, he's kind of acting like the that macho man wrestler kind of thing and the way he's talking and Raccoon's going to do this and he's dropping into po- po- poses and stuff like that. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, Raccoon is super interesting. He also is, uh, I mean, he's super cocky here, right? As he steps up to fight Vegeta, I mean, Vegeta wastes no time in powering up and charging right in at Raccoon, delivering a few heavy blows to him, chucking him into a mountain, and then delivering a key blast that looks like the precursor to the final flash as he extends his arms out wide and then throws them forward and blasts Raccoon with everything he has. And (laughs) as the dust settles... We see a tattered and partially naked raccoon in pose, still just fine. Maybe a couple gashes, but I love just the bravado of this man. Raccoon is one of my favorites. His pose, too, is just fantastic. Like the knees together with the butt kind of sticking out. Oh, yeah. It's very like for for somebody who is acting so macho, it's a very flamboyant pose. I love it. <laughs> I mean, this flamboyant pose, it, it gives way to one hell of a brutal attack because this man, he's got speed that really contrasts his giant form. And as he's beating the absolute snot out of Vegeta, he's calling all of his attacks, raccoon kicks, raccoon elbows, just all this great just commentary. It's great. It, it it feels like a nod to wrestlers in America while also feeling very anime. In a lot of anime, they have like big, fantastic names. And Raccoon has just a name for every attack that he throws, which is so much fun. It's so good. And after a few of these and then maybe even a flying pile driver, uh, Vegeta is pretty much all but out managing just one last kind of sneak attack as he's pulled from the rubble that blasts raccoon in the face, but still doesn't phase the giant. And I think, uh, I think our Saiyan's pretty much down for the count after dumping everything into this. Yeah. And this, I mean, you've kind of touched on them, but this fight has some great sequences like the, I mean, the full on wrestling pile driver from the sky as Raccoon flies Vegeta down into the ground. And then the blast that you're talking about is great, too, because Raccoon grabs Vegeta by the ankle, plucks him out of the dirt and is just holding his lifeless body there as Vegeta takes that moment to give him the equivalent of a sucker punch with a full on two handed key blast to the face. It's gorgeous. It's one of my, in all of Dragon Ball Z, it's one of my favorite just fight shots in general, Uh, especially because we then get to see the result as Raccoon stands back up, 
missing the majority of his hair. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Raccoon's not going to like when he looks in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line, too. <laughs> it's all just his, his big toothless smile. The fact that he never gets angry, he's always smiling the whole time. He's like, he's just having a ball. Yeah, this is, I, I love this so much, but Vegeta is kind of on his last leg as Raccoon decides that he's done playing with Vegeta and he's going to deliver his own key blast in the Raccoon eraser gun. Oh, th- I think this is when he loses his teeth because this is where Gohan and Krillin kind of dive in at the last second, kind of sn- grabbing up Vegeta and saving him from this eraser blast as Krillin drops a knee on Raccoon's head, closing his mouth on his own attack. And I believe this is when Raccoon <laughs> loses the majority of his teeth. Yeah, I think the blast from Vegeta, he loses his hair. However, this blast, his own attack that gets snapped into his own jaw is where he blasts most of his teeth out. Uh, the Again, the visuals here are so good. They're really the, good. The moment that Krillin knees Raccoon in the head, Raccoon's mouth with the big blast coming out of it snaps shut. You can even see the key blast spilling out of his nose. It's so good. <laughs> and it's so it's so weird because it's a life or death situation and somehow it looks great and it's fun all at the same time. Yes, I love this fight. It's it's just I could gush about it over and over, but Vegeta does kind of get saved as Gohan, you know, removes him from the path of the blast, Krillin kind of redirecting the blast. Uh and then Vegeta has the gall to yell at Gohan saying, where the fuck is your battle sense, kid? You could have taken that moment to attack Raccoon instead of saving my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, there might be a point to that because the the gloves are off now. All of our heroes are on Raccoon's shit list at this point, so maybe they did miss an opportunity and maybe to some degree Vegeta is right. I mean, yeah, it's a weird thing, right? Because Vegeta's mindset is so drastically different from that of Gohan and Krillin and our just our protagonists, because if Vegeta, if the if the roles were switched, Vegeta wouldn't have spared a second to save Gohan or Krillin. He would have immediately tried to get a killing blow in on Raccoon, Uh, but. Gohan and Krillin are like, hey, Vegeta's our teammate in this. We got to make sure that he stays alive. And I mean, we've seen this time and time again with our Z fighters. Most of them don't have that killer's instinct. Most of them would struggle or hesitate if it came to killing somebody. And I mean, we saw that with with Krillin and Vegeta back on Earth when after everything Vegeta had done, And Krillin, you know, losing many of his friends that day, uh, Goku within an inch of his life. I mean, standing there with how many broken bones with a sword in his hand was still not really able to bring himself to killing Vegeta. I mean, I'm still not 100% convinced that if he swung that sword, if at the last second he wouldn't have turned that blade. It's a tough one, right? Because Goku was the one who really stayed Krillin's hand. Uh, Krillin 
at least seemed like he was ready to kill Vegeta. But I think the thing that had kind of pushed Krillin to that point was seeing so many of his friends die. And that was probably the only thing that would have really even pushed him over the edge to actually deliver the killing blow. But yeah, otherwise, you're right. These guys... These guys don't have that killer instinct and they've all been kind of influenced by Goku too, who is almost always more than willing to let the bad guys go, no matter how bad they are. Unless it's a monster. They don't count as as humans or humanoids. So you can kill them. Goku's killed many monsters as a kid. Yeah. Fuck (laughs) them. But yeah, it's now that the gloves are off and Raccoon's fighting all of them. um, I mean, he goes to work. He, puts Krillin down with a a single kick that seems to break most of the bones in his body. And Krillin's out of the fight in one blow. He's within an inch of his life. And then Gohan stands up because remember, Vegeta's still pretty much out. Gohan steps up to fight Raccoon on his own. And I mean, he charges his own key attack that Raccoon just knocks away with an exhale just blows the attack away with his breath. It's, I mean, these guys are in such different levels. Yeah. Also, what a cool idea as far as like fight choreography and also to just show the extreme power disparity between these two fighters. Uh, And Rukum at this point is, uh, I mean, he's still kind of toying around with them, but he's ready to put the hurt on Gohan as he starts kind of knocking him around, knocking the shit out of him. Um, Gohan, however, is he's resilient. Uh, he even, I think, makes a note of his father wouldn't be willing to give up. And he just keeps getting back up to fight our Ginyu Force giant over and over and over as Vegeta and Krillin are kind of out of the fight at this point. Yeah, and while this is happening, uh, Ginyu finally arrives with all seven Dragon Balls and delivers them to Frieza so that way he can make uh, his wish. And with all of them collected, they scream for the dragon, and nothing happens. There's no dragon. And it's at this point that Frieza sort of thinks back to what one of the Namekian village elders had told him, which is, you will never be given the key to use those Dragon Balls. And this is where Frieza thinks, hmm, I need to find me a Namekian because I don't know how to use these Dragon Balls. Are there even any Namekians left? And this is where Nail is sensed and Frieza decides to show his own face this time, actually do his own dirty work. And Captain Ginyu is left to watch after the Dragon Balls. Yeah, this is this sequence is interesting to me, if only because. Ginyu is the first one to even offer up. He says, hey, I'll go I'll go make these Namekians talk. And Frieza's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to take this into my own hands this time, which makes sense. But also, as far as the writing goes, if Frieza hadn't done this, we wouldn't get some of the events coming up with Captain Ginyu and Frieza's spaceship uh, as Dayton and I know having seen the future, having watched Dragon Ball Z before. Yeah, it's... I I mean, it's... I could see it both ways because I could see Frieza being like, all right, I've had enough of sending henchmen out to do delicate things. 
I'm right. going to just do it myself, especially with what had just happened with um, Zarbon and Vegeta. That whole fiasco, this time, I'll just do it. And right. I'm so I can understand it. It's, I mean, it's it's a decision I'm okay with. Even if it, if you look at it through a certain lens, you can see how it might be forcing plot, but um, I'm fine with it. I think it actually works out pretty well. Yeah, I really don't have any problem with it. I think it makes sense. It's just... Uh, I, Honestly, I think it's good writing because I think that Toriyama was kind of looking forward to the future of thinking like, I need Frieza's ship to be available moving <laughs> forward. But uh, we'll get into that later because we'll be covering it. Um, but yeah, Frieza makes his leave. Captain Ginyu watches the balls and Gohan continues his battle, which is not looking so good. Uh, Gohan is pretty much just dodging key blasts and getting beat around. And he's struggling to get back to his feet as he receives several vicious blows that kind of bury him in the dirt. But he staggers back up once more and goes to launch his, I would say final attack as he staggers forward. And this is where we get Raccoon kind of leaping up and over and delivering a just brutal neck kick that pretty much drains all the life out of Gohan as it connects. I love this moment. It, I mean, if anybody does not like children brutality, you might not enjoy this, but watching this as a young kid and watching that Dragon Ball was willing to snap the neck of a five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, putting it that way sounds terrible, but I mean, you even get the the dialogue between Jason Berger as one of them's like, oh, I could hear his neck snap from here. Yeah, <laughs> like, as as his power level just plummets down to zero on their scouters. And I'm going to once again say, think about the difference between Goku's upbringing and the challenges he had to face and Gohan's. Yeah, 100%. This is, I, the reason I love this is because so many people treat cartoons as if they're meant for children. To me, watching this, even even when I was younger, when I was like a preteen or teenager, I loved it so much because Dragon Ball Z was willing to be brutal. Like they just snapped the neck of this kid. Like this is this is not your everyday Saturday morning cartoon. Like this is something very different. This is willing to be a little bit darker. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a change of note, right? Like, even this fight to the death has been kind of fun up till this point. Um, it's not fun anymore. This fight isn't fun. I We just watched one of our main characters, a young child who we, we kind of got to follow their journey from the beginning. And mm -hmm. if you were like me and you started with Dragon Ball Z, he's kind of the best perspective, like the most relatable perspective going through the show with, because he's brand new to all this stuff too. And so for your first watch through, especially if you were younger, Gohan's probably one of the more relatable characters in the show. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, I mean, some people would even argue that Dragon Ball Z is the story of Gohan, uh, maybe minus the Majin Buu arc, but... Um, yeah, he's he, he could arguably considered be considered like the primary protagonist, depending on how you look at it. But 
this in in this moment he's down and out as his eyes are kind of glazed over his neck snapped uh and it looks pretty bad for our our heroes except there is a space pod in the distance that comes careening down to land on the planet yes and our our final shot is the dust kind of lifting and settling a little bit around this spaceship. And we get to see the, the slightly obscured words capsule across the side. And that's where this episode kind of gives up and gives way to the next arc, which would be our next uh, podcast episode. So we're going to have to end it here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we also just very briefly, the tail end get this, the shot of Goku like kind of zoomed in and he's just got this determined look on his face as he kind of looks out of the space pod. And that's the note that they leave us on. I love this. I mean, it's uh, the cavalry has finally arrived and (laughs) the things are about as they're about as bleak as they can be. Right. Everything is about as dismal as you could possibly imagine. The, all of our heroes on the planet are down. Frieza has all the Dragon Balls. There's like three Namekians left. I mean, this is this is the low point of the the story arc. This is things can't really get much worse, right? And I mean this this is kind of where things take a turn uh, because Goku's on on the site now. I mean, Goku's you know Goku's our primary hero. He's generally the strongest out of our protagonists. Uh, And so the kind of game of cat and mouse here between our heroes and our villains is going to change up now that we've got Goku here. And this also, while this does kind of play into the, the Dragon Ball stereotype of Goku coming in the last minute to save the day as this is already at least the second time that we've seen it just in Dragon Ball Z. I, I love this moment. This is one of my favorite moments of Goku showing up to save the day in the last moment, because I mean, the, the, the fights going forward are so much fun and getting to see Gohan and Krillin try to survive and try to succeed on Namek without Goku has also been a ton of fun. Yeah. And we, there, there were a bunch of different challenges that they had to face too, right? It's at first it's just Frieza's henchmen. And then it's also staying out of the side of Frieza. And then it's avoiding Vegeta and it's avoiding Zarbon and the elite guard and, it's it's been a series of challenges and they've been they've been creative through with all their decision making throughout the entire series up till this point so it's what do you do when you can't beat them that's kind of been the overarching theme what do you do when you can't just fight your way out of something and it makes the show a much different watch but it's still fun it's still kind of a blast to follow these characters yeah, and that's that's a great point because a lot of the times Dragon Ball breaks down into this guy fights this guy who's stronger. And that's not the case with this part of the Namek arc. The our heroes here Gohan and Krillin are the underdogs. They are 
some of the weakest guys on the planet, arguably. And they're trying to get these Dragon Balls, which Vegeta's trying to get and Frieza and his men are trying to get. So they just had to be sneaky. They had to be resourceful. They had to be tactical. It's it's a breath of fresh air in a show that is otherwise just a lot of ass kicking, which I enjoy, but I like the change of pace. And the, I guess the, um, Vegeta's character is a ton of fun to follow throughout this as he kind of systematically takes out all the pieces that are kind of set up against him. We see him playing a game of chess in the background while also whooping ass. And so he's kind of this slow, I guess, moving force that's kind of incrementally increasing in power and threat as Frieza's ability to to reach across the planet diminishes and Vegeta's increases. So you're watching this kind of power game happening as well between these two forces. So it's not just us versus them. It's us versus them versus them. And so there's this political aspect to it as well. It's I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, the fact that there are essentially three parties involved here makes it vastly more interesting. If it was just like the good guys and the bad guys, I don't think that this would be nearly as much fun to follow. But throwing the third party of Vegeta in the mix, who has his own motives and his own incentive to get these Dragon Balls, it makes this cat and mouse game or this push and pull of these three parties just that much more interesting. And I mean, there's alliances between some of the parties. There's, you know, something that this person does might help one of the other groups. Like it, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. It's with, without Vegeta, this is, I think a far less enjoyable enjoyable arc to watch it's having that third party and on top of that vegeta is he's interesting as a character because he's thoughtful he's strategic and he's willing to be brutal when he needs to and then strike deals when he needs to and he's incredibly cutthroat about it and so it's you see him kind of working with our heroes and making deals and then kind of isolating other members of frieza's force and killing them and he kind of he kind of has his fingers on the pulse of everything that's happening. And so even though he doesn't have a monopoly on power, he seems to to do just fine. Yeah, he's he's arguably the most tactical out of everybody here for sure. Uh with that in mind, what did you think? We didn't talk too much about how we felt about the episodes individually. What did you feel about the episodes that we covered this time, as well as kind of the second half of the Namek arc here, Dayton? Uh, I mean, um, I do think, well, we talked about pacing beforehand and the pacing is really good in the Namek arc in general. Um, as far as these episodes go, these are fun episodes. Um, the second part of the, the Namek arc does have, I mean, it has that tension, that I had brought up earlier as well. And it's kind of a, an arc that keeps me on the edge of my seat. It's animated mostly well, other than episode 26, where the touch-ups were really awful. But other than that, there weren't too many touch-up scenes that stood out to me. There were others, but not too many. Um, 
But yeah, as far as what DBZ Kai did with this, I think it's overall an improvement to the original material with all the filler cut out. And as far as just it as a story in general, I think it's very good. I think this is this is peak Dragon Ball content that we're in the middle of right now. I think showing a different side of Dragon Ball than just power levels is just a fun thing to watch. And unfortunately, we are creeping into power levels or all that matters territory. So this is kind of one of the last hoorahs of you can do things without a power level. Yeah, I I largely agree with you there. I I really like the pacing that they've set for the Namek arc. I think that it it falls right into the perfect sweet spot of cutting out most of the filler while not giving us too much per episode where it's just like draining and exhausting to even watch an episode. I will say one thing I forgot to bring up during the fights is that I can say for certain that they've cut out content from the fights. Now, I'm not sure. So I'll say this. I know for damn sure that that raccoon fight was not contained in a single episode yes. in the original. <laughs> I I felt that way too, where actually a lot of these fights, like the Zarbon fight being over in like two minutes, maybe that. I don't remember a lot of the fights being that short. And I don't remember what was cut out and if it was good fight content or bad fight content. So maybe we should maybe we should peek into that a little bit before uh before we record our next episode, because I am curious. I did notice that, and I'm glad you brought it up. I think I'm going to look at that, too, because that's that's kind of the rub for me, because and I think I might have mentioned this in one of our previous arcs, but I while I really enjoy the pace as far as the story goes, when the fights start, I feel like I'm missing something because I've watched the original. So I feel like I'm being robbed of some good fight content. However, like you said, Dayton, it might not be good fight content. <laughs> they might be cutting all the the worst of it because there are times in Dragon Ball Z that it's they recycle a lot of fight animations and they use a lot of shots of just, you know, punchy, 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 punchy. And it's just like it's like two frames back and forth. Yeah, the blurry arms. Yeah. And the blurry arms, too. So. If they're cutting that stuff out, I can't really complain. It's not quality content. I just, I still feel like I'm being cheated on the fights a little bit, but I have a feeling that it's, it's probably better that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, because you're right. I, I did feel the same way where I remember being in these, these battles longer. And for most of these, they're, a fraction of an episode are these battles where they're they're over as soon as they start and they probably they probably did take the the few best sequences and just condense that down into the the entire fight scene and then cut out all the other stuff if if I had a guess but I am curious I want to know if what what am I missing and do I actually miss it yeah, there are a couple of fights coming up that I have pretty vivid memories of some of like the best moments. And I'll be curious to see what they keep and what they cut, because some of those fights 
are very long, but have some very good moments in them too. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see. And there's, if I remember correctly too, there's, there's some fun dialogue with people kind of gauging each other and stuff like that, that helps build the tension. And that's, that's something that could be lost in these cut down fights where you don't get as much of a buildup. You just get the, the start and the end. You don't really get any of the middle. Right. So I, I think I like it for the Namek arc. I think that the Namek arc has been well done. I think that the fights are, while they feel a little bit short to me, I have a pretty strong feeling that they're cutting out just the fluff and just the stuff that I wouldn't want to see anyway. So I, I'm feeling good about the Namek arc. It just has me a little bit worried about some of the fights moving forward <laughs> i can see it we'll we'll have to check into that um we'll make an update at the uh uh start of the next video if we if we remember to to kind of give our feedback on what was cut out of some of these other fights because it should be pretty easy to find find these fights or get back to these fights and i can watch a couple extra episodes just to confirm oh yeah i'll see if i can track them down and see if we can kind of do some research on what's, <laughs> what sort of content they actually cut out. But did you have much else you wanted to say on the Namek arc here for the second half that we covered, Dayton? No, it's, uh, I mean, it's been all the buildup, all the tension, and let's let's get to that sweet, sweet Goku arriving content. It's what the people want. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. But with that, I think that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we breakdance our way into some Goku time in the Frieza arc. Gohan and Krillin are at death's door, but Goku's got something to say about that. Even with Goku's arrival, things look bleak with seven Dragon Balls in Frieza's possession and the elite Ginyu Force to deal with. Is Goku's gravity training going to be enough to take down Frieza? Will Vegeta ally with our Z fighters for long? Does Captain Ginyu look good in orange? Ooh. Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there. And remember to keep rocking the dragon. Pile driver! Pile driver!